Hello. Thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. Amen. If God has blessed you on this morning, say amen. If you have a reason to say thank you to God on this morning, say amen. It shouldn't be a problem for us to say thank you to God. No matter what we've gone through in our life, I can guarantee you that the down parts of our lives are outweighed by the blessings that God has given us. I guarantee you. If you take a close look at it, I guarantee that the blessings that God has given us will far outweigh the bad moments in your life. If you take away the distractions, the electronics, if you take away the bad relationships, you take away the troubles on your job, if you take away the 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 person who you are, the emotions that you feel, if you just move that stuff to the side, you will see that there's a reason to thank God. I'm a true believer in that. There is a reason to say thank you to God this morning. And I still and I stand from a place to where I can see faces that don't totally agree. But I want you to know. Because I can see in your faces, you can see the emotions of people. I feel for you. I felt what you may be feeling right now. And what I need you to understand and what's most important of all is that Jesus has too. Jesus has felt the same emotions that we have felt. He's felt abandoned. He's felt disheartened. He's felt fear. He's felt the pain that you physically feel in your body. But God. But God. God will change your situation. I promise you. We continue our sermon series on this morning. Looking at the cross and this journey that we've been taking along with Jesus has led us to many different places and many different areas emotionally within the life of Jesus. And what we see with this is that Jesus is a hundred percent man and a hundred percent deity. Now, when we look at this picture of the cross, what we see is, is this cross being piece of wood. And to some of us, it means a lot. Some of us, we wear it uh, as jewelry. Some of us, we wear it on our clothing. But it's important because of one human being that existed on this earth. And it is the God man that we know as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the symbol of our salvation. Jesus Christ, it played the key part in our buying back to God. Thousands of people, thousands of people were crucified on this cross. But because of one man, one man who came down from heaven, who is 100 percent God, we remember this cross and we see it as being sacred. 
When we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number three, we see the Bible read, for consider him. And this him that is speaking of is Jesus Christ. It says consider or think about him who endured such hostility. That means that Jesus went through a lot of different trials and tribulation. It says he endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He received it from people who was worse than who he was. But it says so that you won't grow weary and give up. Jesus left an example for us all to follow. Jesus left a pattern for us to be able to survive and endure this life on this earth among sinners, among the unfairness that humanity can present to us at times. There's a blueprint for us to exist in this. And so what we see in the final days of Jesus Christ is, is that he endured so we can endure. He endured so we can endure. When we look at this, what we've been covering over the last couple of weeks, we see on the last Thursday of Jesus' life, he has a meal with his disciples and he tells them of his intentions and he's preparing them for them to be alone without him after he dies. And he tells them, I am going to suffer. And he explains to them after the meal that he needs for his closest companions, Peter, James and John, to come with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, to where he is going to pray. And he is in anguish as he prays and he prays to God, the father, if this cup may pass from me, if I don't have to go through this suffering that I'm about to have to go through. Lord, if you could just take it away from me, take it away. He prays this same prayer, not once, not twice, but three times. And once he has prayed to God, the father, this prayer, and he has gone and looked at his friends who have fallen asleep on him each time he's going to pray. Jesus is ready to face what it is that he has has to face. He's ready to go to the cross for the remission of our sins. And so we see that after he leaves the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas is coming up and he approaches and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. Four closest disciples. Four closest friends come to betray Jesus. They come to not be really good friends. And then a mob comes and they arrest Jesus. Jesus ends his Thursday night being denied by Peter, who said that he will go to prison and die for Jesus. This is all on one Thursday. Take it. Take it into your heart. All this stuff has happened to Jesus on one day. Peter denies him. Jesus continues into the high priest's home and they begin a trial in the middle of the night. An unjust trial in the middle of the night, which takes place inside of a high priest's home, a place that it should not have taken place in. He's going through this as a hundred percent human being. And then after he is taken out of the high priest's house, he's then taken out and beaten and mocked. Then on Friday morning, if that's not enough, Jesus goes into the legitimate court uh, around the Sanhedrin, over 70 men telling him that he is wrong when he knows that he has done no wrong. Jesus remains silent until they get to the question of his identity as the son of man, the Messiah, the Christ that will come to save all mankind. And Jesus makes the bold statement. I am. Thank you. Jesus makes the bold statement that I am. I am he who is not only coming to save those who are righteous and faithful to my cause, but I also come to die for you. The same ones who are coming to nail me to a tree. 
Jesus makes this bold statement that he is the son of God. And on the same day after the Jewish leaders have decided that they have heard enough to condemn Jesus to die, they take him to the person who has the power to put it in action. And they take him before Pilate and Pilate is there sitting with the authority to set Jesus free. And Pilate has the wherewithal to actually interview Jesus and find out if Jesus is actually innocent or guilty. And he figures out that Jesus is actually innocent. He figures out that Jesus has done no wrong. And so he asked the people, do you want me to set free this murderer and this person who actually rebels against authority named Bar Barabbas? Or do you want me to set free the son of God? And the crowd overpowers him with the cry of crucify him, crucify him. And he relents to the crowd. He gives in and he wants to please the crowd. And he says, fine, you crucify him. He washes his hand of the situation. Jesus is taken away and he's beaten again. This time with the rod beaten over his head repeatedly. He's beating with the flagrum which is an instrument that looks like a whip that has metal beads on the end that helps it to pick up speed as you swing it. And right behind those metal beads, it has pieces of bones and pieces of metal that whenever the speed comes and hits the skin, it digs into the flesh, rips out the flesh and causes them to bleed while they're tied to a post. And Jesus remained silent. He stripped of his clothing again. They spit on him, and then they continue to mock him. They place a purple robe on him. They place a crown of thorns on him. And that's where our story continues. On this Friday, after this severe physical and mental abuse, Jesus is there. John chapter 19, verse number 6. John chapter 19, verse number uh, 15, I'm sorry. John chapter 19, verse number 15. Brother Arnold, if you could read that. They shouted. They shouted. Take him away. Now, this is the case where Pilate is before the crowd. They say, take him away. Keep reading. Take him away. Crucify uh -huh. him. Uh -huh. Pilate said to them, should uh -huh. I crucify your king? Right. We have no king but right. Caesar. The chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. So as we see here, the son of God, the one who is 100 percent man and 100 percent God could have called angels to come and protect him. He's still obedient to the will of God and he chooses to be taken away. As we continue on reading, we'll look across the Gospels as they share the same story in Mark chapter 15, verse number 15. The Bible talks about how Pilate dealt with the situation. Verse number 15 of Mark 15, the Bible reads what? Wanting to satisfy the crowd, mm -hmm. Pilate released Barabbas to them. Okay. And after having Jesus flogged, mm -hmm. he handed him over to be crucified. All right. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, All right. and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, right. twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. I want you to pause right there. Go back to that one. What I want you to understand is this process of this beating. As I explained before, they used an instrument that was called a flagrum, right? This whip with leather tassels on it, right? Leather tassels on it. Each individual leather tassel had a heavy piece of metal that looked a lot like those uh, weights that you use when you go fishing. That would help it to pick up speed when they swung it. All right, swung it. 
Then you'd have these pieces of bone, pieces of metal attached right beneath there so that it would make a greater impact when it hits your skin. They would tie the person up to a post to where their arms were around the post and they would hit the bare backside, the bare buttocks and the bare thighs of the person. And they would do it at least 39 times. And that was whenever they were in a good mood. It says historically that if the if the soldiers that were doing the beating weren't in a good mood, they would continue all the way up until the point of not killing them. So Jesus here is set, sitting there tied to a post, not able to move, being beaten, having something tear up his flesh, causing him to bleed out. We see this. We see this spoken about many times. Uh, we see Paul, he says that he was beaten several times. He says 40 save one. That's what he's talking about. This type of beating right here. And what would happen is, is that the person would go into hypovolemic shock. And so what happens is, is the body, because the body is losing so much blood, the body uh, starts to shut things down. Internal organs shut down. The, sh the body shuts down the kidneys so that you won't urinate and, and continue to lose fluids. And so the person begins to feel thirsty. You remember as Jesus is on the cross, he says, I thirst. And you remember uh, uh, when, when a hypovolemic shock occurs, the body starts to surround the organs with fluid. And if you remember on the cross to make sure that Jesus was dead, they stuck him in the side with the spear. And it said it came out like blood and water. And that's that fluid coming out. So they had beaten Jesus to the point to where he was in this type of shock. And he was so weak. So weak at this point and lost so much blood. And yet they spit on him at this point and they continue to mock him and put a robe on him and put a crown of thorns on his head. This is what Jesus is going through at this point. His blood pressure is dropping. His heart rate is increasing. It's hard for him to breathe. And so what we see is. Jesus dealing with all of this. Verse number 16 again, the soldiers led him away into the palace. They do all that. They dress him up. Verse number 19 says they were hitting him on the head with a stick, spitting on him, getting down on their knees. They start to pay homage to him as if they were his king. They mocked him. They stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes back on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. Jesus, he warns his disciples earlier on, and you can take this note down for yourself. In Matthew 10, 17 and Matthew 13, 9, Jesus warns his disciples that they too would be flogged one day. They too would have to go through the same thing that Jesus went through. If you need that, those scriptures again, look up later, Matthew 10, 17 and Mark 13, 9, Jesus warns his disciples that they too would have to go through the same thing that he went through. The same thing that he went through. Understand that if you are a follower, a student, a Christian, one that comes after Jesus Christ, you will too face the same trials and tribulations that Jesus went through. All of this is going on through with Jesus and he's being beat to a bloody pulp, literally. Matthew chapter 15 verse 21 happens. Matthew chapter 15 verse 21. What does the Bible say? Uh, Mark, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. 
They forced the man coming in from the country. So Mark carries on with his uh, uh, part of this gospel narrative, and he says that they forced a man coming from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. To carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene. His name was Simon of Cyrene. The father of Alexander. The father of Alexander and, and Rufus. Rufus. Now, I need you to know a couple of things first before we continue on. This man, Simon, was from a place called Cyrene, which is in the northern top part of Africa, right? This is very far away from where they are in Jerusalem. This man could have been an African. He could have been a Jew that was living in Africa. But this man had traveled a very long way to come and worship. Understand that this man and all of these people would come from various different countries to come and worship on Passover. What they did was they came in order to worship the day that God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and saved them from bondage saved them from slavery god saved them out of a situation where they could not save themselves see when they were in egypt they were slaves before they were in egypt they were descendants of abraham and they were children of the promise god had promised abraham your seed will be my people they will be as numerous as the stars they will bless the whole world but now they have become slaves. And what God did was God went into Egypt and he went to war against Egypt and their gods. And he took them out, redeeming them. And that's what they would go back to Jerusalem to celebrate. That day, the Passover, when God instructed the children of Israel to place the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And when God came to the houses of each individual family, if he saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over and not kill the firstborn. This man from Africa named Simon, it also mentions that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And that is not to be forgotten because we're going to come back to that. So the people who would have read Mark at this time would have known who Alexander and Rufus was. But what I want you to notice here is that it says in Mark chapter 15, verse 21, that when Jesus was supposed to be carrying his cross, to Golgotha, they forced a man to help. Now, one thing I need you to understand that whenever they carried the cross, when they called someone to carry the cross, they would choose not the most direct path to the hill. Right. They would make them travel the longest route. When I had the opportunity to go over to Jerusalem, on the last day we went into old Jerusalem, and we, they said, just go walk around and see what you can see. And the first street that we went on was called the Via Della Rosa. Did not know what street I was on. Did not know what had happened on that street. But what I found out at the end of the day was it was the same street, the same route that Jesus took as he carried the cross. And it is not a short walk. This man who has been beaten, this man who is in shock, is carrying this heavy beam or the whole cross, probably more than likely the beam, carrying it through the city. And the purpose of that was was for two things. They wanted everyone to see that this person was guilty and that this person was admitting that I did what they say I did. And so they wanted everybody to see what happens when you disobey. They wanted them to see this is what happens when you break the law. But there was a second reason for this. 
The second reason for them taking them on the longest route was so that if anybody could speak up for the person carrying the cross, they could say, this person is innocent. And they would take that person back to trial so that they could see if they could find if they were innocent. But nobody spoke up for Jesus. All of those people that he healed, all of those families that he blessed, all of those people that he multiplied food for, nobody spoke up for Jesus. So he's on this long trek towards the cross, struggling to carry not only his body weight, but the weight of this cross beam. And the Romans, they gave their soldiers the authority to compel people to do what they wanted them to do. If you remember, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, if somebody compels you to go one mile, go two. There was a law that they could actually make you carry something for a mile. And so what they did was they took this man, Simon, who had traveled a long distance from Africa. He was already close because it says that he came from the country, right? He came there to celebrate Passover. He came there to celebrate God delivering his people. And all of a sudden, they want him to pick up this cross that is is surely covered in blood. If he was to do this, he would become unclean. He wouldn't be able to even celebrate Passover. If he carries this cross... He can't do what he came thousands of miles to celebrate. That's an unfortunate situation. To travel all that way to worship God. You know that you're doing the right thing. You know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then all of a sudden, misfortune happens. Unfortunate situation comes. Have you been there before? You know without a shadow of a doubt that you have done nothing to receive what you're receiving. You know that you've been faithful. You know that you've been studying your Bible. You know that you've been praying. You know that you've been sticking to what God wants you to stick to. And then still an unfortunate situation happened. Misfortune comes into your life. Simon of Cyrene has to be asking himself, God, why is this happening to me? I'm going above and beyond what I should have to go through. I'm faithful. I'm here to worship you, and now I'm going to be defiled by someone that I have to listen to. Or they'll kill me. I'll lose my life. My purpose was to come worship. And it happens in our lives. We all in here seek to do good. We seek to be obedient to God. And in those times, we face times to where we just can't do right. Nothing good is coming to us. All bad luck. But what Simon didn't realize is, as he's come to celebrate the literal Passover lamb, he has just come into contact with the Passover lamb. This blood does not defile, but this blood saves. We're going to see something in Simon's misfortune here. Let's continue to look at this. So we see, read that again for us, Brother Arnold. They forced a man coming in the country uh-huh. who was passing by right. to carry Jesus' cross. 
Okay. He was Simon of Cyrene, okay. the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now we see in this misfortune, the Bible later on tells us in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, consider it great joy. My brother and sister. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you experience whenever various trials. you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces, produces endurance. Now I need you to see that whenever he says this in James, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily say great joy. But what the original text says is, is that you need to experience all Joy. It doesn't use the word for great, but it says all joy. So it says when you come into these conditions that are not favorable and they're filled with misfortune, he says that you don't need to mingle your joy with downfall. You don't need to mingle your joy with anger. You don't need to mingle your joy with depression. But when you face various trials in your life, you should face them with only joy. And that's a hard saying. It's a hard saying to have joy when you know that you should be getting good and all you get is bad. It's hard. It's hard to take that in. It's a hard pill to swallow. When you know without a shadow of a doubt that you should be blessed. But all you have is misfortune. God, for all I've done for you, I should be happy. Consider it great joy, all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. And because they won't always be the same. The thing that burdens you in January will be totally different from the thing that burdens you in December. It won't always be the same thing. You will have prepared yourself for what you went through in January and something else in life will come in December to knock you down. But it says to encounter these situations with all joy, because verse number three says, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I need you to understand that he says here that the testing or the the making known of who you are as a Christian. It helps to produce endurance. And what that means is it helps you so that you can continue to live on this earth as a Christian until you live as a heavenly citizen. If you want to keep living on this earth, count it all joy when you face these various trials. Because God is preparing you to go through what you're going to go through. God is making you a stronger Christian. There's a lot of strong people, but God is making you a stronger Christian. Amen. So we see this complete joy, this joy that is all joy. And we look at these situations that happen in our life, and we need to understand that when the Bible reads this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, we know that all, that all things, things work together for the good. Pause right there. We know that all things, not just part of what you went through in your life, not just part of those things that you went through in the roaring 20s, Not just what happened to you in the beginning of this decade, but it says that all things, whether they be good, whether they be bad, whether they be untimely, all things work together for the good of those. Pause. Listen, there's a lot of things that happen to a lot of people. Understand and listen to what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that happen to a lot of people. 
in all things do not work together for the good of all people. But it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, if you're willing to give up on God just because you're going through some trials, do you actually love God? If you're willing to say, God, I know you've been good to me for a long time, but you've given me too much bad in this month. I'm going to give up on you. Do you really love God? If you're willing to be more committed to your job than you are to God, do you really love God? Because that's what we're dealing with today. Too many times, I get too many text messages. Hey, I'm not going to make it in today to worship or the Bible class because I don't feel good. And Monday morning, people wake up and go to work. Do you? Is God really your priority? You ain't going to call in on Monday, but you won't come to worship. And I don't need those texts. I'm not God. I'm not God. That's something you got to handle with God. But I need you to understand that if your commitment ain't that strong to God to where you will come into work, but you won't come into worship. Do you really love God? Do you want all things to work together for your good? Because this is the cycle that happens. The cycle that happens is, is that we're good as long as God is giving us good. And then we get comfortable in the good and all of a sudden we don't need God and we back away from God. And then we have some bad happen in our lives and we come running back to God. That's what happens. That's the cycle. Read the book of Judges. That is today. People doing as they see fit. People doing as they see good to be. Our good ain't good. It's the truth of the matter. But it says we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. I don't say these things to put people down. But what I do is I say it because it needs to be brought to attention. I'm saying it out of love. I'm not putting you on blast. God going to do that. It says, who are called according to his purpose? What does the next verse say there? 29. Romans 8, verse 29. For those he foreknew. It says, for those he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed uh-huh. to the image of his son. Now, it says here again, this is Paul writing again. If you've been a part of our Wednesday night Bible class, you know that this foreknew or predestined part is God saying he already knew that he would call some people to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you know that that is your choice? To be conformed, to be made into the image of Jesus the Christ, that's your choice. God didn't just choose a select few. He didn't just choose 144,000 people to choose for salvation. That's your choice to be in the image of God. So that he would be the firstborn. Listen, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. And if you're made into the image of the son, you'll rise from the dead too. So as Jesus is on his way to change the lives of every human being ever, his humanity was weakened by this beating that he took in. And his body is going into shock. And he's lost blood and he's weak because of it. But the new Adam had to do his job on this earth. 
the one who would give us life after death had to continue and make it up to the top of that hill so that we could have redemption, so that we can have salvation. Jesus could have called on his deity to allow his humanity to rise up. But what he did is he had he had to uh, 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 use the Roman authorities to call on another human being. God had to use another human being to help him get to where he needed to be. John chapter 19, verse 17, the Bible reads carrying the cross by himself. I need you to understand that in the Greek, this word right here means bearing or carrying something heavy. It says that Jesus carried this heavy burden. He carried this heavy burden. and He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. And they called it this place because this hill looked like a skull. So when he's starting out, the author of John states that he carried or he bore the cross. What I need you to understand is, is that Jesus is carrying a weight that did not belong to him. You see, the cross was for people who had done wrong and Jesus lived without sin. Jesus carried a weight that did not belong to him. And our sin was the cause of this heavy cross. So whenever you see Simon of Cyrene told that you have to carry this cross, Simon is not carrying Jesus' cross, but he's carrying his own. He's bearing the weight of his sins. And he's carrying my sins and he's carrying your sins up to the cross so that Jesus can bear this terrible death so that we can be forgiven for these sins. This isn't Jesus' responsibility or his burden. But he's being obedient to the will of the Father. Go to the next slide, Mark chapter 15, verse number 21. Read that again for me, Brother Arnold. They forced a man coming in from the country uh-huh. who was passing by mm-hmm. to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. What I see here, because this same author in Mark, the same one, Matthew, same one in Luke, he mentions something early on in the ministry of Jesus. If we go back to chapter 8 of Mark, verse number 34. Mark chapter 8 of verse number 34, Jesus makes a statement to his disciples. These are his students, those who will follow after him, as we all should be students of Jesus Christ. He makes this statement. What does he say there? Calling the crowd along with his disciples. It says he calls on the crowd. He uh-huh. said to them. He tells them. If anyone wants to follow after he said, me. He said, if you want to follow after me, if you want to be like me. Let him read. deny himself. He said, you have to deny yourself. Take up his cross. Take up your cross. And follow me. And follow me. And what we see here is that Simon of Cyrene literally, literally took up the cross. Simon of Cyrene is compelled by an authority figure to carry this cross. Just like we're compelled by an authority figure in the name of Jesus to carry our cross. Simon of Cyrene is told to deny himself. He has to put himself, his will on mute and turn God up on blast. That means what I want to do, I got to mute it out. I have to be about the will of God. I know I may think that I came to this earth to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be a nurse, but I have to put that on mute and say, what does God want me to do with what he blessed me with? What does he want me to do with it? 
He says that we have to deny ourselves. Read that again. Go back to that 34, 834. Calling a crowd along with his disciples. Go back he to said Jesus' to them, part, the red. If anyone wants to follow after me, uh-huh. let him deny himself. Uh-huh. Take up his cross. Take up his cross. And now, what I need me. you to see in this is, is that the taking up of the cross would have meant that you're going to feel a beating. You're going to be beat down. You're going to be tired. You're going to feel worn. You're going to feel like, hey, I'm 60, 70, 80 years old. I've done my part. No, it's time for you to keep going. If you need some help, get some help. Let's keep moving. That's what it's talking about here. We're going to be tired at this point. We're going to be beaten down at this point. But he says that if you want to be a follower of me, you have to pick up your cross. Take up your cross. Go back to the scripture, please. Take up the cross and follow me. Listen. Jesus had to carry this heavy load after being beaten several times over the course of several days. If Jesus had to go through this and he was sinless, please do not think that you're going to be exempt from trials in your life. Please do not leave the church when something bad is happening to you. Please don't stop coming and worship. When something isn't going your way. Amen. Please don't start arguing with brothers and sisters when that's the people who's going to help you get to heaven. Amen. We need each other. Amen. Just like Jesus in his humanity needed another human being to help him to carry out the plan of salvation. We need each other to get there to salvation. After you've taken up this cross, Jesus says, follow me, as Simon had to do when he took up that cross. He had to follow Jesus up there to where he was then going to take more punishment with nails going through his wrists, nail going through his feet. That's our duty. That is our duty. Simon of Cyrene literally went through what Jesus spoke about here. 15 verse 21 again, it says, they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Jesus' goal here was to fulfill the will of God. But in this moment, there was a need for a human to become involved in the divine plan. And this wasn't just for Simon. I need you to understand that what happened here when Simon had to carry the cross of Jesus Christ was not just for Simon, but it was for each and every person in this room today. And each and every person that exists in this world. It's not just for him. And if you claim to be a lover of God, we ought not let uncomfortable scenarios stop us from being full participants in the will of God. We all benefited from what Simon of Cyrene did. And what we see here. In the Bible, we see Simon mentioned. We see a lot of times people, even on the day of Pentecost, there was other people from Cyrene who came on the day of Pentecost to worship in Jerusalem. And later on, we see a letter. Paul writes this letter to the church at Rome. And this is before he has even made it to Rome. And there's a church there. Y'all see, there, there's a church there that exists in Rome before Paul ever traveled there. 
And we see another person that is mentioned there, Romans chapter 16, verse 13. It's not on the screen. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse number 13. I want you to see someone who is mentioned there. Before Paul ever set foot in Rome, there was a church there. Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Brother, I want to read that. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Paul, in his letter, he says, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord. Chosen in the Lord. At this church in Rome, he says to greet Rufus. Simon had two sons. Existed in Cyrene, which is the province of Rome. In Africa. Two sons named Alexander and Rufus. Now, is it clearly stating that this is his son? No. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Your misfortune, right? Your misfortune, your downtimes, the points and times in your life to which you're going through it and you feel like you can't give up. Who's being blessed by your misfortune? Are you making sure that others are blessed in your misfortune? Simon had to get dirty, become unclean to where he couldn't worship. But because he went ahead and did what he needed to do, everybody was blessed. Everybody was blessed. When you're going through it, you don't feel like getting up and worshiping. You don't feel like coming to Bible class. You don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like praying to God. Who's going to be blessed when you're in your misfortune? Are you going to make sure that other people are blessed even when you don't feel like you are? That is the challenge. And that's what we all have to do. We all have to be like Simon and carry the weight. Who's going to benefit from your cross carrying? In conclusion, we too must be involved with God's method of glory. God's path to glory doesn't look like man's. You see, when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted, Satan offers him all of these high and mighty things. Just here, you can have this. God's way to glory does not look like that. God takes glory, or God takes humiliation and turns it to glory. He takes pain and turns it into triumph. He takes death and turns it into life because in the weakness of man, God's strength shows up. We go through what we go through and we're made to feel like as though we can't go on because guess what? We can't by ourselves. We have to have God. We have to have God. We too must be involved with God's method of glory, which involves shame being turned into triumph. Discipleship involves the surrendering of who you are, being compelled by someone greater than you for the sake of Jesus doing what he needs to do for others. The gospel is not just about you. Your relationship with God is not just about you. Simon thought he was there to praise God and have it be for himself. But he was actually there for all of our benefits. Who is going to benefit from your cross bearing? 
If you're not a Christian on this morning, I need you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. And when I say that, what I mean is this. There, there are many great benefits. There are many great things about being a Christian. The first thing of which is freedom. You see, God is the good master. And I need you to understand this. It does not matter who you are in this world, whether you are the richest person or the poorest person, whether you're the oldest person or the youngest person. In every part of your life, you will be under the authority of somebody or something. You will have bosses. You will have managers. You will have a husband or wife. You will have teachers. You will have God and you will have the adversary, the devil. You're going to be under the authority of someone at every point in your life. The thing about this is, this choice that you make is, is that the adversary, the devil, is a master who is going to run you into the ground. He's going to press you until you die. But the master who lives and resides in heaven, he's the good master. He provides us with freedom. He provides us with salvation. He has taken, he has taken something that was more precious than currency, his son Jesus, and sent him down here to buy us back from the adversary. What you have to do is believe that that's true. Do you believe that that message is true? Are you willing to say to yourself, the way that I've been living is not right and I want to turn away from it? That's repentance. Are you willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God publicly, openly? You pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Are you willing to go down into the watery grave of baptism for the remission of your sins? Upon doing so, all of your sins are washed away. God no longer will hold you accountable for those things that you've done. He has taken them and washed them with the blood of Jesus. If you're a Christian this morning and you need strength, you need prayer in order to continue to carry the cross. I need you to understand that it is possible. You can do it. It may seem like that you can't. You may doubt yourself every day you wake up. You may feel as though you're failing in every area of your life, but I need you to understand that there's a greater purpose for you. We are a holy people. That means we are set apart for God's purpose, and your purpose is to further the kingdom. Do the business that Jesus came down here and started. I invite you to do all those things as we come sing the song of invitation. Just as I am without